As we do every year, whoever is uh, leading the kinnis, who's that going to be? Are you going to be leading? Um, okay, whoever's going to lead the kinnis is going to say out loud the uh, first phrase, the last phrase, and the number, so we know what we're holding. And as per previous years, I will be speaking before uh, selected kinnis. Uh, as way of introduction, we were discussing yesterday at the end of the shear, the Pelayet's overview on Tishabov, how we should approach the, uh, the day, the kinnis, the Machshavas of the day, and uh, just uh, review a few of the lines that he said, because you look at the kinnis, many of them are from relatively recent history. Obviously, there, there are some from Korban Bayes Rishon, uh, many talk about Chorban Bayesheni and many of the Crusades and the pogroms throughout, uh, throughout history afterwards. And uh, one could get the misimpression, if you don't read carefully, that it's all about uh, what happened to us and the pogroms, uh, the, the crimes, the slaughter, the torture. And it's about that. It's one day that's selected for all the Avelis up until including the Holocaust and even afterwards. And it's to focus on the tragedies that happened that day, but that's not necessarily the main point. The Peleyates and everybody else says that what we're really supposed to focus on is the tragedy of the Gullah Sashchina that was caused by the Chorban and the massive, massive Chil Hashem that went on the time of the Chorban and continues. Chil Hashem being that the Gayim don't fully understand, the Yidin don't even fully understand, that the Chorban was caused by Averis, and the lack of Binyan is caused by further Averis, that we haven't been Mesakin, and that the Kajbarcha Bechvadabatzma is uh, forced to, to leave the Beis Amitish, leave the Makam Amitish, leave Yushalayim, leave Eretz Yisrael to a degree. And in Shemayim, there's a tremendous Bechia because of that Golos Ashchina. It's harder for us to, to touch that and to understand that and to feel that, which is why the Rishainim who made the Piyutim and made the Kinnis understood that, understood that it's hard for us, and therefore by singling out the tragedies and discussing them in graphic details, the hope is that it sets the mood of Avelis that were said, but the goal is to understand that all this is happening not in a vacuum, but because of what we have done and the result of what we have done, uh, we don't always understand the exact midah, connected midah, and how harsh it is in front of our eyes, how bad are the Averis. But Lamaisa, we know that the Kodesh Baruch was a Dayana MS, and we understand, and we have to understand that it's still a result of our Maisim. Uh, Medrash has many fascinating uh, Medrashim quoting Yemiel Anavi, and Yemiel Anavi himself says, as they were leaving Yushalayim, that had you cried a little bit more before the Chorban, it would have could have avoided the whole thing, which means uh, someone was asking me yesterday, they didn't cry. They didn't cry uh, at the Chorban right before the Chorban. There were so many hundreds of thousands of people dying beforehand. The answer is, yeah, they cried. Uh, apparently, Kosh Baruch was looking for that uh, one tear that was 1,000% L'shma. So what does that mean? A tear is a tear. Somebody's dead. There are tears. Somebody gets killed, there are tears. There are war going on. There are tears. There are orphans. There are tears. So which tear was the Kosh Baruch looking for? I think the pshat is along the line of this, this, uh, this Peleyetz, and that is, Hashem was looking for somebody to have one tear that was kula 100% l'shma, that the tsar was only about the tsar hashchina and the galas hashchina. That's difficult. And Yermiel said, there's somebody here who could have done that, and had that been done, we wouldn't be walking into galas now. So, the kasha everybody asks, as you uh, begin reading this as well, they couldn't do it in the time of Yermiel, what are we going to say? The, the Madrega is a thousand times lower. So that, that's a good kasha, but they ask the same kasha. How are we going to be banned in the Beis if it wasn't uh, Benuya in the time of the Goyen, in the time of the Chassam Sefer, and going back to the time of the Rambam and the Ramban? So, so what are we going to say? So the answer to that is, is that there's also a timeline. As you get closer to the day where it cannot be delayed anymore, there's more of a chance the Mashiach will come, the Gula will come. We're definitely, one thing we could say about ourselves, despite Niskat and we're a lot closer than the Rambam was, and the Chassam Sefer was, and we're a lot closer than Rabbi Kiva was, and Rabbi Kiva thought he was very close, and that's why he supported Bar which we'll discuss later. 
they all understood that it's not as difficult as we think to trigger that. One tear doesn't sound like a lot, but that has to be lishman. It has to start with the understanding that it's not all about us. It's about the Shechina. It's about the Chil Hashem. It's about creating the circumstances for Kiddush Hashem. The fact that Klai Yisrael's Ba'ar despite the fact that we're doing relatively well in this present Golis, in Gashmias anyway, uh, that does not do the Chil Hashem. Smart Goyim and smart Yidin, Lahavdul, look at the situation and said, we're still not home, we're still spread Ba'ar Kanfas uh, not everybody's doing the right thing yet, and that be'etzem is the chil, chil l'ashem. There's a um, very interesting Gemara in Chagiga, Gimel Mabez, which uh, the guy has a comment on that's, but he's saying Pashup Shat in the Gemara. This is not uh, in Kabbalah, but it's, uh, you have to understand the Gemara in some form. So Gimel Mabez, the Gemara says that uh, the Horban Abayas, was a turning point not only for Yidin and people down here, but in Shemayim, the Tzar Shechina, the Chil Hashem is going on, was actually represented by a change in the format of Malachim. Before the Chorban, Malachim had six wings, and after the Chorban, Malachim had four wings. And they still have four wings. So the Gain says, what exactly do the six wings and the four wings represent? This touches up, this guy touches up everything we just said and the, the theme of the entire day. So the guy says that uh, the wings had, each wing had a word on it, and the words were, Baruch Shein, Kaved, Machasel, Yalam, Ved. Six words, six wings. The two that were clipped, first two were kept, Baruch Shein. Hashem, Hashem is still blessed. The Yalom Vod, he always will be. What's missing to us, the covet is still there, but what's missing to us, and hence the Chil Hashem Shabbai, is the Kved Malchusa. That wasn't recognized anymore at the time of the Korban. So Baruch Hashem, Kved Malchusa, the Yalom Vod, the two wings that were clipped with the Kved Malchusa. So, that, that, that Taich, that one line says it all. That's exactly what Tisha is about, that's what the Gullus is about. Our job is to enhance and increase the Kved Malchusah and to understand that every pogrom and every tragedy was a result of that lack of Kved Shemayim. And you go into the kinnis understanding that so it won't just be the gore, the, the injury, the maiming, the killing, one after another. It will be with the backdrop of this is what happens when Hashem is Masalik, His uh, focus, Kaviyachal, Hashem is still there. Hashem's controlling everything. But Hashem makes the Hester upon him. Hester upon him is a reflection and a result of that lack of Kfod Malchusai. And that's what the Kinnis were all about. He knew they were doing the wrong thing. No one would stand up and say, but it was the wrong thing until the young Melech Yeshio, who was the son of a Russia, and he was a young man, he realized that uh, this wasn't the MS, became Baal Tshuva before Bar Mitzvah, and worked very, very hard, and was very strong in his uh, conviction and his uh, status as Melech, that it's up to him to use his police arm to make things right. And he did that for the most part. He used his army. He used his uh, police. He tried to use his secret service in a positive way to eradicate the Zara from Eretz Yisrael. He probably did 95% of the job. Uh, the problem was is that he thought, or so his advisors told him, the reports came back that there was nobody caught in months all the of the Avodah are either gone, dead, or better yet, Baalei Tshuva. And there's nothing left. Baruch Hashem, he, Pasuk describes at length, in Navi, he gathered all of Chai Yisrael to make a new commitment. He brought the Korban Pesach. Doing incredible things, and had he stayed alive, he probably would have finished the job, and the slippery slope would not have continued. One of the... Um, 
biggest inborn Yetzirahs people have, especially when they're intelligent, talented, and doing things right and accomplishing, is that sometimes you can think just a tad too much of what you're accomplishing and not realize that you're still falling short. We say this with trepidation. We're talking about Yeshio Amelach, who goes down in history as one of the great tzaddikim of Malchus Beis David. And Yermio himself, the Canaan Yermio Yeshio, this is written by Yermio Anavi, what you're about to read. And the reason he was so distraught, even though as yet many years before the Chorban, is because he understood that it's quite possible the Yeshio Amelach was the last chance to turn this around. It wasn't the last chance. I'd like to contrast this and show you what happened with Sitkiyo Amel. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, the Yoshio Amelach, which was uh, many, many years before. And there wasn't a zecher of any enemy yet coming to Yisrael to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. What did happen is there was an ally that sent a message to Yoshio Amelach. It's not an enemy looking to invade. This is an ally. They were on friendly terms as friendly as one can get with any Egyptian empire. And Paro sends a message to Yoshio that I have a campaign up north that I have to fight. And this is the quickest passage. As Hashem designed there to stroll, it's in the middle of everything. No matter, there can be any war going on in the middle of the at least that has nothing to do with the Jews. But everybody walked through to stroll. That was done on purpose. Why? Well, Hashem promises us a chumash. That when things are going very well and everybody's doing the right thing, you'll have such peace and such prosperity that I will guarantee, Akhar Baruch Hu says, not only won't you have a battle or war in the country against you, not only will you not be attacked, you won't even have a friendly army walking through the country. Because we all know friendly armies are made up of a bunch of Viltachayas and uh, they're looking for, they're up to no good. And as they pass the country, often there's a chance of them robbing and pillaging and who knows what. So Hashem promised you won't even sit there, you won't even have the fear of having an army walk through that is just heading north or south because it's a nerve-wracking experience in the best of times and I'm here to protect you and I'm guaranteeing they won't even come in. Gavaldik. So Hashem puts our Yisrael in the center of civilization to show that when a Baruch is protecting us, nobody can even walk in, let alone fight the Yidden. And when we're not doing the right thing, it's in the crossroads of civilization that everybody can come and wreak havoc. So Yoshio Amelech gets a message from Pyro that I'm just passing through and I'm headed up north and uh, just letting you know, you shouldn't get nervous. Uh, this is not about you. Just, we're going to fight uh, whoever's up north there and uh, just let us through and um, we'll be fine. Yoshio felt, after what he did, the Chuva movement that he caused, he felt at this point they can and should be zeicher to the promise of cherv v'layava ba'itzachem. And this uh, was not one cherv, it's the, in the might of the entire Egyptian army. And even though they're friendly and even though they get along, he's not interested. And he tells Pyro, nothing doing, find a different route, you're not coming here. Pyro couldn't believe the message. He thought he misunderstood. So he sends a message back. He says, no, no, let, let me make this clear. I'm not coming to fight you. I'm just headed up north. We'll be out of the country in a matter of uh, days. And uh, there's no issue over here. The Navi, Yermio, comes to the Melech and tells him that, I understand your initial response. Unfortunately, we're not there yet. And we're not Zechelekach. There's still people doing a Vodazari. Yeshio says, cannot be. I sent out all my messengers, all my spies. And they'll be doing anything. And he says, yeah, but they're Leitzani Hadar, which the Kinna refers to, that they're doing a Vodazari behind their doors. And uh, when they come in to search, the Vodazari sort of fold up as the double doors open up. And they're still doing it. And uh, you don't know about them. They're a uh, minority. But uh, they're still there. The cancer is still there. And you have a situation here where if you don't uproot that before you start relying on promises of Makaj Baruch Hu, somebody's going to get hurt. And this is the only mistake, the only mistake, the last mistake, the costly mistake the Yoshio Melech is going to make. On his Madrega, Akaj Baruch Hu came down with the full Midas Adin. Because somebody on this Madrega who accomplished so much for Klai Yisrael should know 
that no matter how talented you are and how smart you are, if the Navi Adar tells you that we're not ready for this yet, let them through. And he promised them there'll be no war here. Let them through and they will keep their word and they'll walk straight through and no one's going to get hurt. But you cannot be zeichet to this promise that 100% of Klai is doing the right thing or 99.9, as good as it's going to get. You're not there yet. You're 95, 96, you're not there yet. And Yeshua Mel turned to Yermia and he says, Rebbe, I'd like to accept, but there's a machlek is you and Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't know if he said it, but that's that was the uh, that was the bottom line. He says the pasuk promises and you're telling me I shall let them through. He says, ah, how can you how can you be chelik on your rebbe? Which um, again, 2020 hindsight, we're not here to criticize Yeshua Melech, but Hakadosh Baruch who basically after that uh, he went out to battle and he gets killed. And Yermio is in the battle. Yermio runs over to him. As he's dying and hears his last vidui and he says, Rebbe, you were right and I was wrong and I'm paying for it. And what he didn't fully realize yet, which Yermia realized, is his Chayisol is going to pay for it. It's not just a personal tragedy of losing a melech as a tzaddik. But it's such a musr because how many times do we have situations where, yeah, of course we, we, we follow Dastar and it's a, the, the Navi Adar and the Gadol Adar and everything, except this time he's making a mistake. Yoshio said, yeah, this is his Rebbe. He followed him... Uh, Almost over a cliff, except for this time. And uh, Yermio, he died at Sadik. Yermio, as he as he was dying, bent over and listened to his whisper, and he said, uh, "I was wrong, Pashati and Bagadati, and you were right." Uh, but he died. And after he died, the Rishayim were emboldened and strengthened, and there was nobody else who was strong enough to fight this battle. And the Chorban wasn't here yet, but after that, it went straight down. Fast forward, actually before we fast forward, I want to show you one interesting diak you can notice in the Pesach. It says in the description of Yeshua HaMelech, to his credit, I'll read to you the Pesach, V'yas ha-yashar Hashem, which he certainly did, and he caused everybody else to do it also, V'yela b'chol derech David aviv, there are very few Machai Yehuda who got this uh, compliment that they were, come out on the Madrega, b'chol derech David aviv, and it didn't veer to the left and to the right. Now, what Pusik, uh, what does that expression remind you of? So that's correct. Very, very ironic, because the Pusik that talks about following leadership and following Psak and following Dasteira says, Beferish, the Pusik that gives the Kayach to Chazal to make Gezeris. And to make decisions, so the irony over here, I think the reason why the full power of the Midas Hadin, you would think that Yeshua was doing so much, and he's, he's a self-made man. His father was a Russian Rushi, he had nothing to look at. And he built himself up, he built Klaizer up. So, just wondering, not tiny, just wondering at Shemayim. So he made one mistake, so immediately goes to battle and he gets killed. The answer is, because he was Yeshua HaMelech, and the Pesach is made on him, that he had a Rebbe, and he followed him down to the T. He didn't veer Yamin Usmo. That was his cooling card. That was his godless. So to make a mistake in this area of somebody who understood, as a young man, he didn't know anything, and became a Baal Tshuva, and had to look for direction, and he understood, because of his background, that everybody needs direction, for him not to listen to Yermia Navi was an immediate death sentence. It was because of his godless. Now contrast that, it's almost more of a comparison than a contrast, to the mice of Tzitkiyo HaMelech. And I'm going to be myrich on this for a few minutes because this is a front and center for Corbin Bayes Rishon. This is the last, the last conversation before Corbin Bayes Rishon. So there are a lot of kinnis that allude to this, but don't say preferish, so we're going to use it now as we discuss the beginning of the end with Yeshio HaMelech. This is now the end of the end with Tzitkiyo HaMelech. The comparison of these two kings is as Malchei Yehuda go, they were Tzadikim Gemurim. They were from the best. You had to make a, a short list. Unfortunately, the list is short. You have to make a list of kings who were Tzadikim. Yeshio is on the list. Sitkeo is on the list. There are few in between. 
here before. You have David and Shlama, and you have Asa, and you have Yashafat. Unfortunately for Yoshio and Tithkio, they both made the same mistake with the, with the same Rebbe, with the same Navi. A tragedy, the Yermio had to, um, had to see this, had to live through this. Can't imagine how excruciatingly painful it is for the Navi Adar, for the Gadol Adar to be talking to people who are already tzaddikim. It's not like he was talking to Rishon. He was talking to Rishon also, but they didn't listen. That he didn't, uh, that he figured. He's talking to Yoshiyama, begging him, let him through. This is not even a battle yet. Let, just let, let, let the army through. Now, fast forward. He's begging to Amel, the army's here. They're surrounding Yerushalayim. The whole thing's about to fall apart. And yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his Rachamim is still waiting for some, some small gesture that Hashem could argue with the Midas Adin and say, look, they're starting to listen. I'm stopping the Chorban. I'm going to give them a chance. Till the very last day, this was possible. That's what truth is. See, here Yemio knows the enemy's outside. The city's already shaking. There are Navi Sheker walking around. We could have done very well without these clowns. Navi Sheker walking around for already decades, but now this is like the last couple of days before the Chorban, and they're saying, this is the day. It hasn't by Shani also. They walk around with the clay, get up in a soapbox. And they say, as the Romans were battering down the wall, they get up and say, Hashem's going to bring the Yeshua now. So in essence, the theme, Yidnam, Aminim, Bnei Aminim, so you sort of want to listen, because you know Hashem could turn it around the last minute. That came from Beis David. That came from David HaMelech. So that could happen. The only problem is, if no one's changing their ways, no one's doing tshuva, and you have a charlatan getting up in a soapbox and saying it's going to happen apropos to nothing, it's going to happen, why? Why is it going to turn around? So Yemio and Naviyam didn't say that. He said, Your Highness, we could turn it around if you just do something about it. Something small. Now the lesson of both Yeshio and Sitkio, before I read to you the Psukim, what they didn't understand is they looked at the generation and they saw it, certainly Sitkio saw the generation was was mostly Rishaim. Matter of fact, Chazal quote that Koshbarcha wanted to destroy the world, he looked at he looked at the generation and he wanted to destroy the world, he looked at Sitkio himself. And that's why the world was still in existence, because he was such a singular tzaddik. What he didn't understand is, and this is unfortunately it's probably too much of an honor in this regard, he didn't understand that his own godless, his own decision, even if very few people are going to listen, was enough to turn it around. And the Navi's going to beg him and try to implore and point out that that's not the case. And a Raila Dover is, even though Yeshio was killed many years before, the fact that there were tzaddikim turned around by him in his lifetime, there were some of those tzaddikim still around. Somebody's going to listen. And that small number of people, Abba begged for ten to save Saddam. We didn't even have ten by the marble. It doesn't take that many people to do the right thing. That's the chidditch of this whole sugya. And Tzedkiyo looked around and he saw his cabinet members and he saw all his advisors of all Rasham out to get him, out to get Yermio. And he felt this is just not going to work no matter what I say, no matter what we do. It's irrelevant. Let me read to you some of the psukim. It's just, um, it's the saddest. It's Yemiyo Perik Lamed Ches. What I think is the, come out the saddest Perik in Novi. Because if you have a Perik describes the actual Chorban, you'll say that's sadder. I think it's more depressing when you are on the eve of the Chorban. And you know you have in the room Yermio and Novi and Sitkiyo and Melech, and these two themselves can turn it around, but Yermio needs Sitkiyo to cooperate, and Sitkiyo feels he's not up to it. And it doesn't happen. That's in a way more depressing. Yermio had been in jail for a long time. Sitkiyo's advisors put him in jail. He was first and put in like a quicksand uh, solution where he was slowly sinking and uh, his Talmud Baruch got Rishus from the king to save him. king wasn't w- willing yet to take him out. He just got Rishus to save him and he put him in a safer spot. And he told him he can go save him. He took shmatas to lift him up. And they lowered ropes. Imagine the scene, the Gadladar is uh, sinking. And this Talmud, this is uh, Baruch, who later goes to Bavos, the Rebbe of Ezra. 
Put the shmatas underneath your arms, and we're going to lift you up. They kept him in jail. They put him in a different courtyard, still in jail. And he's there, and the Chorban is coming, and the enemy is here. So here's the chance. Sitkiel calls him in secretly. And he says, Please, I want to hear the Dvar Hashem. Don't hold anything back. It's godless already. He wants to hear the Dvar Hashem. A minute ago, the Navi was about to be killed. I'll tell you the truth, you're going to execute me. You threw me in jail. You allowed me to be thrown in jail the first time. If I give you an eight saw, it's not going to be listened to anyway. We're talking about Sitkiel. He made a shua here. I swear I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to hand you over to these Rosham who want to kill you. That's all his advisors. This is the last Nevoah before the Chorban. What's eerie is that Without Nevoah, this is what Rabbi Yechon Medzakai wanted to tell all the Beryanim, all the Rishayim who were destroying Yerushalayim and killing each other. Told them the same message. Surrender. Go out, give yourself up, and surrender. If you do that, Hashem will spare you, spare the city, and spare the base of Mikdash. They will spare you, and the city will not be burnt down to the ground. You will live, and your family will live. This is an avua. This is not conjecture. This is not advice. If you do not surrender, will conquer it. They will burn it. And you will not escape. Tzitkiyo had a very elaborate escape path underground, which no way B'derech HaTev would ever catch him because he had underground tunnels for miles. Unless, of course, Hashem sends a deer to follow him as he's running underground, and then the Romans want to shoot the deer and they keep missing, even though they're shooting at point-blank range. And therefore they chase the deer because who wants to lose a battle with a deer? And they chase him and chase him and chase him for miles and miles and miles. And then they happen to catch the deer exactly when Tzitkiyo and his sons come out of the cave. But Tzitkiyo is not anticipating that. And uh, on paper, the chances of that happening are about 100 million to one. But Yemiel tells him, again, it's not his personal opinion. If you don't surrender, running through the cave is not surrendering. If you don't surrender, you will be killed, your family will be killed, and the city will be destroyed. It's the most depressing pasuk of the parak. So he said, Rabbi, I would like to. I hear the nevuah. I believe it. And on a certain level, he did believe it. He said, if I surrender to the Kazdim, they're going to hand me over to the Jews who are already defected, who hate me, and they're going to torture me and make fun of me. I can't handle it. That Tzitkiyahu as king wasn't a coward. Any stretch of the imagination. And we can't imagine the Nisayan. But basically he said, the humiliation I'm going to face is worse than death, and I can't do it, I won't do it. And Yomio says, I hear that, and I will tell you based on my Nevoah, that's not going to happen either. He begs him, Please, I beg you, just listen to the Nevoah and you'll be alive, you'll be well. <laughs> Hashem. 
And then he shares them another part of the Navu, if you don't surrender. He says, your entire family, if you don't care about yourself, it's your wives will be captured, your children will be captured, you won't survive. It's interesting. He just alludes to the fact you're going to be captured. It doesn't say he's going to kill you. He's going to blind him. He's not going to uh, kill him. Not going to help. He hears the end of the Nevoah. He turns to him. And he says, I don't want you to repeat anything you just told me to anybody else. This is his psak. Ish al if one word gets out that it's Nevoah, I will kill you. He promised not to kill him. He's not going to kill you if you stay quiet. If my cabinet members hear that we spoke, or hear we had a meeting, this will happen. And they're going to ask you, they're going to hammer away, what did the king tell you? What did you tell the king? Don't hold it back. We won't kill you. We want to know the whole story. So the Melech, before he sends him back, sends him out with an alibi. This is, I had a meeting with the king. I begged him. The meeting was the purpose of not sending me back to jail to die. And I begged the king not to send me back. And sure enough, as soon as he got out, the Yavo called Sarma Yirmi of Yishlos of Yagalem called Dvar Meila Shetziva Melech, Achrishim Emenu, and he, as instructed, didn't say a word about the Navua, about what was going to happen, and nobody found out. And the final Pusuk, Tzitkio thought about it more, didn't change his mind. Yirmiyo never got another audience, never was able to tell over the Navua to anybody else. Vayeshev Yirmiyo Bachatzar Matara Adyem Ashenukada Yushalayim. And when Nebuchadnezzar came in, Yermio was still in captivity. That's why I think this is the most depressing story. This was the last point of no return. And Tzitkio, if you'd interview him, you'd ask him, he had reasons why he felt it wouldn't work. He would say, the generation's not Zeicha, what am I going to do? It's just going to be more humiliating for me, and they're going to torture me, and what good is it? I'm going to do tshuva? What's that going to do for the rest of Klaeso? The bottom line is, one person can make a tremendous difference. Yoshio learned that, because after Yoshio, it went downhill. Sitkio didn't fully believe it, although he believed uh, the Navu on some level. He didn't believe that Hashem and his Rachman would turn it around for one person. And apparently, that one person could have been Meicha, could have done more, and perhaps he could have gotten another nine, another twenty, another thirty, and it could have been averted. Next, uh, Kino is one of the uh, most graphic ones, echoing the Pesukim and Chumish that warn in the Tachacha that at the time of Einish and punishment, it's going to get so bad that there's going to be uh, what we'd call cannibalism. Cannibalism, it's unclear historically. I highly doubt that anybody killed anybody else, certainly their children, to eat. But we're talking about the dead bodies, but even that's uh, horrific but understandable when there's mamish nothing to eat. The unfortunate fact, both in Chorben Bayez Rishon, we have more information, obviously, from Chorben Bayez Shani, in terms of the actual graphic descriptions, although the Novi Yermio gives us plenty about Chorben Bayez Rishon. Uh, we know from Bayez Shani, and we know from the Pesukim from Bayez Rishon, that this Einish, this Avtachan, the Tachachan, the Einish, was actually carried out, unfortunately, quite often due to actions by Yidin. We know that today's Havtera, Hashem talks about the, the Reitzchim, the people with the, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've noticed in Havtera, like every other Pesach is about Lashon Hara, and shechting people with uh, your tongue and character assassination, and the quarreling that was going on, and this is already by Yisrishan, which was the main Avedas of Erezara, Shvichas Dam, and Shvichas Dam was there. By Shani talks about 
the pure sinas chinam. Now, not to exonerate anybody who was from in that tkufa, but it is important historically to keep in mind that by Yashani, it's quite clear that uh, much of the sinas chinam that was spoken about was the warring factions between people who were, I guess today, if you, you look at them, they went to the mikvah with Shammah Shabbos, uh, uh, mikvah was actually one of the things they, they overstressed almost uh, to, to a fault. Um, there were many offshoots of this uh, after the Chorban, also the Essenes, people like that who almost made them a forerunners of uh, Christianity. Uh, they, they, they picked and they decided to choose what uh, fit into their Hashkaf Sachayim. And Geneva, Ritzicha, not listening to authority, a bucking authority gave rise to its dukim in the Quran later on. That wasn't in their field of view. So that means the person's essence not from. You can't uh, take half of the Tayyag mitzvahs and get better at the other half. Uh, you have to keep the uh, system in its entirety, obviously. Uh, as you all know from the history we have, uh, clearly from Bayashani of the Gemaras on it, and Lahavdil Josephus, you've got to be careful when you read Josephus, he was a very um, uh, exciting writer, almost uh, romanticized everything. But uh, Chazal understood how to read him, and some of it is, is quite factual. A lot of his facts uh, we know from the Gemara, so we know that, that those accounts were, were true. Uh, the Romans actually hired him. He, he started off as a, the general that was supposed to be commanding the entire north and defending the entire north. Uh, he gave it up without a bullet being fired. He claimed verbally at that time and in his writings that he did that to save Jewish lives. He was the ultimate patriot. Uh, we look at him as the uh, Jewish uh, Benedict Arnold, if you'll call it. Um, it's The jury's still out on just how vicious he was, but he certainly was opportunistic and interested in saving his own skin. And he went over to the Romans. The Romans actually hired him. He was a brilliant person, and uh, and he was a brilliant writer. And they hired him to chronicle uh, the wars, the Romans also, it, it's hard for us to understand, the Romans almost liked a good fight to show, you know, if the enemy was so weak and we won, like, uh, no big deal. So they asked him to write up, so you have to read through his writings carefully to see uh, where he was um, fantasizing and where it was true, but again, we have other sources for a lot of it. And he describes in great detail uh, what was going on between the warring factions of the Jews. And again, today's barometer, we wouldn't consider these people from, but they were Jewish and they did keep certain mitzvahs. And that makes the tragedy worse because the good Jews had prepared Yerushalayim for a siege. The Gemara says they had stored up food for less than 20 years. That food, that supplies, they burnt everything down. It almost boggles the mind when you read about this. They burnt everything down. They did that because they felt in their ultra-nationalistic nonsense that uh, anybody can hold out against a siege. You want to be brave. You want to be a warrior. Go fight them. What, do you sit here and just eat? Yeah, you sit here and eat. You learn. You do a vayda. You keep the base of mikdash. Yeah, that, that's, that, that was the plan. And um, they didn't like that because it didn't serve their purposes. So they burnt everything down, which is, uh, you read that account. It's just like uh, everything. And then it was just a question of time. There were hundreds of thousands of corpses just in the streets. Every time they got to a house, House is filled up with the whole families died together, locked the house, went to the next one. This was the months preceding the actual Horvin. And their Biyanim and the, the Zealots and all these people were stealing every morsel of food from the general population. So they still had what to eat, and therefore they were still fighting first each other. And then when the Romans started actually battering down the wall, they decided to actually divvy up the uh, positions and fight against the Romans. That was at the very end, and then they were too hungry to fight. And then the Chorban came. It's um, very fascinating and moving, tragic. I have here a copy of the, um, of the English translation of the account right before the fall of Masada. The Masada is also uh, romanticized in um, modern uh, novels. I've seen I've seen novels under Orthodox auspices uh, written about it. It's the same problem we have with the Inquisition. We have lots of kids' books about the Moranos. 
Now, to put this in context, I'm not claiming we would have done better. It's not easy to walk away from a mansion with servants and a built-up fortune over many generations, which is what some Spanish Jews had attained. And when the expulsion decree came and said either convert or die or leave, so dying didn't sound like that was a good option, and leaving this behind, and leaving then doesn't mean getting on an LL flight and going to Tel Aviv. It meant wandering and probably also dying or getting on ships that weren't seaworthy. Half the people who went to Portugal didn't make it there, and the other half were followed by the Inquisition. So it wasn't, uh, they fully understood this wasn't a, a great option. But halakhically, and this is where the novels, I think, are a little bit misleading and just important when you speak to your kids that every other book that comes out, there's nothing like a good Murano story where they're having the Seder and they're, you read these books and they're, they're great books written by good publishers. But you might get the misimpression as you're growing up that the heroes of the Spanish Inquisition were the Moranos. Those are the people who gave in. They were just the middle madrega. The worst were those who just converted to Christianity. And that was it. So, okay, they weren't from. The Moranos tried their best to dance at both costumes and hold on to the religion and act like Christians on the outside. Lamaisa, they were over on many chiyuve, karis, and misa. They went to church and they did a vodazara. This is real Catholicism. They did a vodazara and they ate the nevelis and trefus often when they had no choice, when it would give them away. And they held on to what they could hold on to. That wasn't the right decision. Yeah, I'm not claiming we would have done better. But there were hundreds of thousands of Jews who followed the Abarbanel and walked or swam or got on a ship, which often didn't make it out of Spain, and left. Uh, Columbus describes, this is from his letters, uh, the expulsion was on Tishabov, and he was set to sail then for the New World, which is, again, it's a Kodesh Baruch Hu's way of being mocked in the uh, Rafua, that there should be a haven. Years later, it's, it's unbelievable. But he writes in his own memoirs, he said he couldn't get, he only had three ships, the Nina, Pinta, Santa Maria, if I remember correctly. Um, he only had three ships. He said, I can't get out of the harbor. He says, this place is so crowded with these refugees, the scribes. Some say Columbus was a Jew. He was a Jew. He was a Jew. Murano. They're interesting riots for against, but it's, it's irrelevant. But he writes, didn't sound like he's writing as a Murano unless it was a good cover-up. He said, I can't even get the ships. I was so delayed because we can't get out of the port because there are thousands and thousands of big vessels and little vessels and, and seaworthy vessels and not seaworthy. Everybody's packing out. He's describing, Mamish, the day where the Jews are leaving. Those Jews were the heroes. They left everything behind, and they left, and they put themselves in great sakana. Most of them didn't survive. And on the flip side, just to give credit what credit is due, some of the Moranos held on for not a year, not two years, but a generation or two. We know that because there were some Moranos who got out who were Balde Chuva, who were grandchildren of the original Moranos, and they still held on. And when they, as soon as they were able to get to the free world, they started keeping mitzvahs. And a lot of it's not just to them because they came out with the money. That's when they left. They were able to smuggle the money out. But that's still, it's better than the people who became Christians, but the real heroes were the ones who remained from throughout the ordeal and were willing to face the consequences. Going back to the Chorban, Chorban Bayashani, so Masada has the, uh, Masada was after the Chorban Bayashani, Betar was afterwards, Masada, these are the last strongholds. The Gemara has a lot about Betar, not as much about Masada, as Masada was tiny compared to Betar. Betar in the aftermath, there were over a million Jews killed. The Gemara describes an absolute bloodbath similar to the Churban. That's why it's put in the Mishnah as one of the tragedies of the day. Masada was almost like a blip on the radar screen. It's been made very big for many reasons, uh, which we won't go into. Uh, but just to understand halachically, to be on the right side of, of, of the correct version of history, because history is always clouded by whoever is trying to build it up or tell it over for their self-serving purposes. Um, I'll give the silver lining. The silver lining is a yid is a yid, and there's a pintle yid in there. And deep beneath the traitorous, murderous thievery that was going on by these biryonim and these uh, sikari, whichever group they happened to belong to, each one was more violent than the next. There's a group of less than a thousand, 900 and something, who escaped men, women, and children to Masada. Masada, if you've ever been there, I'm sure most of you have, is Kemat Bederchateva, you can't get in, which they figured over there, no one's coming up here. They underestimated Akash Baruch Hu's long arm and the fact that Akash Baruch is willing to send the Romans to kill everybody. And the Romans, if they had any brains, were left well enough alone because it was less than a thousand people. They knew what Matsada holds. There were no troops there that were rebelling. And like, why'd they bother? It took them a long time, many supplies, just a waste of resources. The answer is, Mashem Yatsad Dover. 
Hashem, when they when Xer was out for, for total annihilation, came out total annihilation, so they're not going to escape either. And the people that were there were, again, they found when the uh, Yigal Yadina was, or they flew him down when they first discovered it to, to measure the mikvah, to see he flew down Rabbonim, the mikvahs fit exactly the shear, and they had a full shear, the Chaznishia, whatever they had, and their mamas, look how from the, they went to the mikvah, they had a shul that they were Jews. And there were Jews that were, look more Jewish than your average assimilated Jew today. That's the good news. And they were strong-minded Jews. They were murderers. I'll read to you from his own uh, atheist in a minute. They were murderers. They were thieves. They spent the years prior to the war and during the war robbing and pillaging the countryside. They, to live with themselves, much like the people who defended uh, Yerushalayim, uh, they dressed it up, and they probably convinced themselves to some degree that we're the saviors, we're the soldiers, we're brave, and, we're, and when the time comes, we're going to defend Jewish values. Again, that's Jewish nationalism that has nothing to do with halacha. That was the problem without this whole thing. And the sinasphenim was over here between these parties. They were killing each other most of the time. When Yushalayim was surrounded by the Romans, they were still killing each other. And we know from Medrashim that in Yushalayim, there were two positions held, one in the Azar, one on, on, on top of the Azar. They were still killing each other. And they made a truce for Pesach because it was the last Pesach of the Yidden. And there were thousands of people who wanted to come to the Azar to bring the carbon Pesach. And one of the two groups sent their own men in plain clothes with daggers underneath their cloaks. And when given the signal, they pulled their daggers on everybody and threatened a bloodbath. These are Jews against Jews. Unless they give them that territory. And that's how they took over another position. This and the Romans are waiting outside. So this is all Mashem Yatsar Dover, that nothing should go right, nothing should go smoothly. But when you read about the Chazal of Sinas Chinam, that's the Sinas Chinam they were talking about. Now, what, what is Nagea to us? You'll say, okay, we're all part of yeah, from, yeah, no. answer is, if there was absolute shalom between the from people, it probably would have filtered down and we would have had more schusim. So we're not uh, exonerated from this and we have to work on our, on our ava and we have to work on our achtus. But just understand from the histor- historical context, in Tochlan Anosh Imperium the people were eating humans, were eating their, their dead children. The famine, certainly at Bayashani, was caused directly by Yidin. This is part of the Einish. This is not therefore the Yidin Hakatra Hashem is pulling the strings. But this, this is caused by Yidin at the direction of Akash Baruch Hu, that this should be the Einish for all the things they did before him. Getting back to Masada, so I have here an English, uh, translation. This was, uh, there were, there were just a few people who survived the mass suicide. They hid in a cistern. Uh, a couple of women and some children. And they're the ones who told the Romans what happened and what happened in the final hours. Uh, and they told over Elazar's final speech. So this is the silver lining that a yid is a yid. And uh, he fully understood when it came to the moment of truth what had transpired and why it happened. And listen to his, his lushan. I'll read it to you in the English. So Rabbi Resnick brings us down in the safer. It is evident that tomorrow we'll all be captured and now we're free to choose an honorable death together with our loved ones. Now, I don't want to get into it now. It's a Shia B'Fnei Committing suicide in the face of capture is not Pashit. Over here, it's not Pashit. He was wrong. It boils down to two days in the Medrash about Sholomel. Sholomel committed suicide rather than be captured by the Plishtim. And the Medrash has a debate. It's Whether or not he had a right to in the face of torture, humiliation, Chil Hashem. Shol was a bit different because he was the Melech Yisrael and he felt it would be an extra Chil Hashem if he would be captured alive. Uh, there were people, very brave people, after they killed him, they had his body, and they actually went on what we call a suicide mission to get his body out, which Shaul would have answered had he been alive to been asked, and Chazal probably would have answered, but they went and they did it, and they snatched his body, and they got it back. Very brave. They did it for Kavod HaMelucha. There's a debate over there as well. Was that absolutely Yasser? Was it Mutter for Kavod HaMelucha? Same reason Shaul killed himself. It was Mutter because it was a Chil Hashem. So take his body back because they were, they were making fun of the body. The body was hanging in the Temple of Vodazar. So one could possibly make an argument in Allah's defense, even though he was not a halachic Jew, uh, that here maybe he was right because the next morning for sure they were going to be executed and tortured. Uh, the women were going to be attacked. The children were going to be taken into slavery. Is it mutter to commit suicide before him? So we have one raya, the famous Gemara in Gittin, the same Gemara, the, the Gemara in Zakin, all these Gemaras in the same place, where the children were being taken to Rome, and they realized why they were being taken, and the girls jumped off the boat, quoting Pesukim, and then the boys jumped off the boat, and they all committed suicide. 
So that's a raya, at least the Gemara insinuates, if you're taken directly for Avera, that it's mutter. And he alludes to that. So whether it's mutter for everybody, whether it's mutter only in the face of slavery, when they're not being taken for Avera, that's where it gets very debatable. Let me read to you his, uh, his short drosha. It's evident that tomorrow will be captured, but now we're free to choose an honorable death together with our loved ones. Perhaps in the very outset, when we had our eyes set on freedom, it dealt harsh treatment upon our fellow Jews. So here he's starting to realize why they didn't have atzlacha. We should have realized that it was Hashem's will that his beloved ones were doomed, meaning us. Do we really think that after the holy city was burned to the ground that we alone would come to in safety as though we were guiltless before Hashem? We, who had been the teachers of all the others, he belonged to the group which was the most radical of the terrorists of all the groups. So he says, correctly, he said, we taught them how to kill and steal and maim other Jews. So we have a, he's now regretting, it's a very bizarre havamina that the Beis Amit is destroyed, Yerushalayim is destroyed, everybody was killed, and we think that this group of a thousand people, men, women, children, we're going to survive. We're not only not any better than they are, but we taught them everything they knew. This is the silver lining of the story. It's as bad as he was, and he was pretty bad. He was a chief gangster. This is the, the ancient uh, Bugsy Siegel, and, and these guys probably had nothing on them, just to put it into context. Uh, matter of fact, Bugsy probably didn't even kill any Yidin, not that what he did was mutter, and it was still a mess of Chil Hashem. But um, he wasn't killing his own brothers. But mafiosos are known not to kill their own family. Well, it didn't work for him. But now he's beginning to understand that it doesn't make sense that we should be the lone survivors. And basically, I don't know what I was thinking. Not even this fortress could save us, for Hashem has deprived us of hope. This is his vengeance for the many sins we have inflicted on our countrymen in our time of madness. Let us pay the penalty, but not to our bitter foes, rather to Hashem by our very own hands. Again, that halakhali might be debatable, but that's not a ridiculous havamina. Let our wives die without being dishonored. Let our children perish without knowing slavery. This shall be our moment of liberty. Let's destroy all our belongings in the fortress, but spare only one thing, our store of food. We'll testify after our death that we did not die of want, but rather because of our determination to choose death over slavery. And that's what they did. So halakhically, whether it was correct or not, I'm not sure. But uh, what has to be transmitted for the history when your children discuss this, Masada is often discussed when you visit there, if you visit there and uh, during Tisha B'Av, uh, these people were not the heroes of Klai Yisrael, they're not the cream of the crop. The Maile is, at least they did Vidoy before he was killed. And he recognized that this is probably due to our horrible Maisim, but this was part of the Xera, which led to the following kin of the terrible atrocities in Yerushalayim. The next uh, kina, Arze Levonon, is about the Asaru Gamalchus. There are many tragedies that happen that uh, our job is to look for the most direct Mida Kanegamida we can find, Yafashish for Maisev. We also have to understand the backdrop, again, without too much Kabbalah. Understand that every decision that's made in Shamayim, this Midas Adin, Midas Arachim, a mixture thereof, takes into account not only the direct Maisim from now and what's needed for the hour, but also keeps in mind all the Cheshbenes, Lederi Deris. And often that heavily involves issues like Gilgulim. You ever had the, uh, we shouldn't delve into it too much, a little bit above our, or very much above our, uh, understanding, but uh, just a cursory look at uh, Shah Gogulim and the various uh, Sadiqim and Rishayim Lahavdil who are Gogulim of others trying to be Mesachin things. So there are two things to point out in this particular kinah. Farshim say that the Asari Ruge Malchus over here is, one thing is the direct Alpinigla, uh, the direct need to uh, have Klaistral I guess, benefit from the kapara of the tzaddikim who were taken from them during this tkufa. But Alpinister, these ten, Rabbi Kiva among them, were Gogulim of the Shifte Ka. 
Shiftekar who had sold Yosef and the uh, the Pele is you'd say Gilgal so many years and Yosef forgave them he told them that they asked after Yaakovino died he said I forgive you and uh, don't worry I'm not going to do anything to you thousands and thousands of years and um, there's still a kapara needed which is a very sobering thought that tikkunim take on various forms, and sometimes it's in stages. You can have an immediate tikkun, and there's still a needed for for a further tikkun. So the first we do point out that uh, besides the immediate kapar for Klai Yisrael, this is also a tikkun that was needed. Lederideris, uh, and Hashem in His infinite wisdom, decides when to put that tikkun in, and when it's necessary, and when it's triggered. Another fascinating insight to the Shara Gogulim is the fact that Yermio, who we speak about more than obviously any other Novi on Tishabov, Yermio on Novi was a Gilgal of Shlomo Melech. Why was Yermio given the fate that he had to be the Novi that was around by the Chorban? Quite, quite a job. He asked that question himself. He asked the Kosh Baruch why, you know, why me and why, uh, wasn't saying complaining, he's trying to understand. Like, it's such a, I tried, I couldn't do anything about it, I wasn't successful. I begged and I begged and I couldn't, couldn't avert the catastrophe. So, the, the Chatsi Nechama, we always, uh, different things happen in life. We sometimes ask, why me? Why us? Why are we here now? So, just know, even though we don't know too much about it, that Shal Gogulim uh, is, is real and that there's a long-standing cheshman. To give a small glimpse, two possible mahalchim, one from the Chidah, and I saw from a different uh, Achron, and why Yermio had to be witness over here, why the fact that he's a Gilgal Shlomo Melech. Both these insights are mamish frightening because it shows you how every small mice, it looks like a small mistake, but small mistakes for big people are big mistakes, and anybody who's from in Shem is a big person. So everything we do in Ruchnius, Ben Latay, Ben Lamutiv, has a long-standing effect. Shlomo Melch, if you recall the morning of the Chanukah Sabayas, slept late. Shlomo Melch never slept in. Wasn't into his sleep, wasn't even into his food and his wine, even though you look at the history, all that was just to show Hevel Avalim. And all that was to impress the foreign kings and princesses that should come to Shalim for Avodah Hashem. His marrying foreign princesses was all for the point of bringing the Melabashi. Okay, he was wrong because Lamaisi was Aver and Layablan Hashem and Kesavazov and Susim. And that's why he was punished. But the theme, the theory that he had was you bring them here, you inspire them. And the purpose of Melech Mashiach is to bring up the whole world. The theme was good. And the irony is, had he lived a full life, he probably would have accomplished it. Hashem Dafka took him very young as a lesson that if you trample on even a kutsa shalyud of halacha, even for the greater good, you're not going to accomplish what you're setting out to do. So Shalom died early and he couldn't finish what he started. So two of the disasters among many of the women he married, one of them was Bas Paro. And she came, you know, some people come with good intentions, go off the derech. She came, unbeknownst to Shlomo Melch, she came with the Avodah Zara's in her suitcase. You come into the airport, there's a green line and a red line. Right? You're supposed to declare things, she didn't declare it. it walks straight through the green line, which seems to be the Minig, and um, she hid them. And they asked her, anything, are you getting rid of all your Avodah This is the true religion. Yeah, marrying Shlomo Melch, the king of the Jews. It's all gone. And it wasn't all gone, and it was premeditated. And in her Rishus, she, the night she got married to Shlomo, which again, the, the problem was the miscalculation of Shlomo Melch. He shouldn't have the chas on the night before of the, of the opening day of the Beis Amitish. Uh He had a cheshman, but whatever it is, it didn't work. And he still wouldn't have slept late. We have a lechasna, so we use that as an excuse to daven whenever. She blackened all the windows and made a whole um, 
thing with stars it looks like the hidden planetarium. You have, to, you, have to, you have to put thought into this. This is not, this is, this is a godless and rituals that yeah, somebody is attached to what is okay. But to have a premeditated plot to get your husband involved and to make him sleep late, sleep late for the, for the base of Mikdash opening is, is definitely a thought pattern that she didn't start contemplating a day before. She came and she was not, not all as wise with this bed. She, uh, she, uh, she takes the prize. So she, she made it in the room every time he sort of woke up. It was still dark and there were stars and whatever and she must have done a very good job and it was dark so he didn't get up. And then you start the Avaid in the morning. The, the, the Karbanas, it starts the crack of dawn. And he made sure to put the key to the front door of the base of under his pillow because he was going to have lead the services and that's where it belonged. You know, anybody going in early. And you can't go in and wake up a king. So the advisors are standing outside. They don't know what to do. He's still sleeping. There's no movement. And he has the key. And it's uh, already uh, it's already Nate's. And they're thinking what to do, what to do, what to do. And the, the whole Avedu was delayed until they finally came to Basheva, who was his mother. And uh, she's the only one who could do this. And she said, I'm going to get him up. And she went in and he got up. Uh, he wasn't trying to sleep late. It was her. But Lamaisa, it was not a Kiddush Hashem that the Avedi was delayed. And with all the excuses, all the excuses were true, by the way. I didn't know, and the alarm, she shut off all the alarms, and it was dark in the room, and all that was all true. But Lamaisa, Clay, so said, yeah, you take a, take a lady like that, and this is what happened, and it got off to the wrong foot. And they tell you that that's why Yermio, the Gilgal Shalomah, was sent the generation of the Horbana bias because the bias was eventually destroyed because the foundation was shaking. And this is because of Shlomo Melch's delay in starting it and the influence of Bas Paro. The Gemara Sanhedrin says that when, when Shlomo Melch Bas Paro, Gavriel took a stick and put it into the ocean and that stick started to put some of the ocean so the debris and dirt starts forming around it and over the years it became a landmass, and that is Rome. So that's not a stama, that's the same connection, is that the seeds of the Churban started with the fact that it didn't get off the ground 100% in a positive way. Even the rest of the day went well, and they brought Kabbalahs, they brought a thousand Kabbalahs, it was Gavaldic. And it stood for hundreds of years, but there was something rotten at the very beginning. And by the way, my theory is, you ever notice on the map that Italy is a boot that sticks out? Everybody knows that. So I think that part that's sticking out with the heel is the part that the Gemara is talking about. It didn't stick out. It, it, for world topography, world geography, that is the most bullet thing on the map. Everybody knows about the boot of, uh, of Rome. L'chera, that's what the Gemara is referring to. And that's one shot, one possible shot, why Yermio had to be there, because he was, he was Shlomo Melech. Another shot, also based on a medrash, that Shlomo Melech also married, converted, and married... Malkushva, known in secular sources, the Queen of Sheba, there's a Ma'ashli Machlikis, whether it was a male or a female, by the way, just for the record, everybody calls her the Queen, is Malka. Not all Rishanim, before Shema Novi, say that word means queen. Some say it meant king in a different form of diktuk. But this message goes to the Mandamra, it was a lady, and he, he married her, and the, which again, the Chazal, view it as she was not up to it and she was not going to be that firm and the Gavis was not Gavaldic and the descendant from Shlomo and Malka Shva was Nebuchadnezzar. So Shlomo Melch in the Gilgal of Yirmiyo had to witness the downfall and they say, and it, it answers Akasha because you look at the Psukim, Nebuchadnezzar gave very strict orders. He was mamish like, it was almost like a passion by him. When you get in there, don't touch Yermio. Save him. Give him whatever he wants. He kept like your penis, your penis. Whatever he wants to find him. Whoever he wants to save, he can save. Whatever he wants. He's the man. Right, Mudna for a uh, emperor as cruel as Nebuchadnezzar. The answer is he had, he probably didn't realize this himself, but his neshama had an affinity for his great-great-grandfather, who was the Gilgal of Yermio. My point here is, is that there's a lot going on. And you're about to read the uh, story of the Sarug Malchus. You say, these are the Gedeli Adar, the Gedeli Adar. What a cruel and a human. How can they get this? It's not fair. 
So Malach Mosa had that time, and Hashem said, Shtoik, you better be quiet, I'm going to turn the world back to Sevavo. They're the only people who could withstand Midas Adin, and Klai Yisrael needs this Kapara now. But you see from this, there's a lot more going on, going back as far as the Shifte Kup. Next, Kino Chavav describes based on various midrashim that at the time of the Chorban, Yirmiya went to, quote-unquote, Gabiacha, wake up the others, the Kadeshim, tell them what's going on, and to ask them to intercede. Azbalach, Yirmiya, Kibri Abbas, Venomat Samas, Chavivas, Matem, Sheikhvis, how can you be sleeping, how can you be silent? Venechem, Golub, Batechem, Charevas, Yezchus, Abbas, Beret, Taluvas. So, Sounds like for the Madrashim, this was already after the Khurban and Yermio almost wanted them to intercede to get a guarantee the Klai Yisrael is going to come back. And they tainted their tainas, and no doubt that it had a Roshim and Shemayim, but the Medrash Eicha describes that Abma Vinu said his tainas, and Yitzvah Kavinu said his tainas, and Yaakavinu said his tainas. It still wasn't enough to have the guarantee until Rachel Emenu spoke up. A very famous Medrash. Uh, Rachel Emenu said, not claiming to be greater than the others, she said that Lamaisa, I'm only a bus of Adam, and you are Kosh Baruch Hu, certainly by Chorban Bayes Rishon, are destroying the base of Mitish because of Avodah Zarah, one of the primary Averis. And I know you're not jealous of these gods because they're not gods and they're nothing, but even to display the jealousness, my taina is that I'm a boss of Adam. I waited my whole life to marry the Tzadik Yaakov Inu and it came to the day of the Chasna. As I'm about to walk down to the Chuppah, my father says, you sit down, I'm sending in your sister. I could have made a machal. I could have told you about it. You would have stopped the Chasna. I could have done a lot of things that would have embarrassed her. And for her covered abrius, I bit my tongue, even though it was the hardest thing in the world for me. And I am asking you, Akash Baruch Hu, to look the other way from these Averis, especially Avodah even though it's wrong, even to look like this kinna, which there wasn't. The kinna is just a media display to show Klai Yisrael that they shouldn't be even showing their allegiance in any small way to any other Kayach. But if I, as a bus of Adam, can look the other way and do the right thing, which is a Chiddush Nifla, by the way, Yaakov Inu thought this might happen, told her about it, said, I want to make sure we have a way to verify, set up Simanim, the Pella. Not only did she overcome her jealousy, she had every reason to believe so much that we don't exactly know why she would have been wrong to say, I can't do this, I'm betraying his trust, we made a deal, and I have to say something. She intuitively understood that with all the guarantees and with all the samanim, she still is not to say anything, and the right thing to do, Rasa Hashem, is not to say anything. Why? I can't explain. And that was her Kaya Chataina. She had every right and every Limas Chus in herself and every Merahetar to say something, and she's not trying to embarrass her sister. If she gets embarrassed, she gets embarrassed. Not my fault. She's not the one trying to steal the chuppah. Appella. Once you know that, once you know that halakhli, we can't even understand why it was right. But deep down, she knew being with Vaz somebody else is not going to get me into Kali Yisrael. Not going to get me into El Come what? I'm not going to do it. And this was the Schus Taina that carried the day. Akash Baruch Hu said that, for that, with everything else, but that was what pushed it through. I will bring Kali Yisrael back because of your Taina and your crying. Ruch Mavaka Bana. It's a pillar. But the Medrash says it. Medrash says that's what, uh, that's what brought it through. This kinna is about Yermia trying to wake everybody up to guarantee this promise. The good news is on this he succeeded. Uh, we are going back and the promise was made.